Hello and welcome to the Blues Guitar Show podcast with me, Ben Martin, from thebluesguitarshow.com. Hope everyone's having a great week this week. I have a fantastic interview lined up for this week's episode with the brilliant Danny Bryant, who is one of the best blues guys currently out there. Um, We talk everything from uh, coming up as a blues player, learning under Walter Trout, uh, meeting B.B. King, uh, what he does in the studio, a bit of talk about gear, improvisation techniques, and a bit of blues history, everything in between, really. It was great to chat to Danny, and I really appreciate him giving us some of his time. If you haven't ever checked out his music, I really recommend checking that out um, or catching him somewhere on tour, which you can do over at dannybryant.com. Without further ado, here is my interview with Danny Bryant. <laughs> I think last we spoke, sort of back end of last year, um, we were trying to hook this up, but uh, you got stuck over in Europe. Was that on tour? Well, yeah. What happened was it actually that was the last tour of the year. Um, we were in Holland. We got to the airport. Tour manager dropped me off and said, do you want me to wait? And I said, no, no, it'll be fine. And then every flight cancelled. And they were like cancelled for three days. And they had the trouble with the trains over there as well. So I couldn't get to another airport. So, yeah, I was two days stuck in a hotel. So. Oh, nightmare. That was because of the cold, was it? It was because of the snow here. Remember, it, it hit really badly on about, I think it was about the 10th of December or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, crazy. And then they, they got their own things going on there, and Ryanair had overbooked flights, and then it couldn't, yeah, it was just a nightmare. Oh, but yeah, you know, we got through it. <laughs> it's the woes of traveling as a musician, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the hard, that's the bit we get paid for. Yeah, well, especially on Ryanair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Great stuff. So uh, you're in the studio now, is that right? What what are you working on? I've just come out. Um, I've just finished a new album. So oh, okay. I, um, yeah, I worked with uh, a guy called a producer called Ian Dowling, who's a bit of a departure for a blues album, but he's 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 got a Grammy for working with Adele and um, people like that. But he's 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 really into blues as well. And so uh, yeah, he produced a uh, you know I think it's it's going to be a really fun album. So uh, right. is that with your um because I know you sort of I guess in the last five or six years started touring with a big band yeah is that with the big band yeah there's um they're not on all of it um most of it's five piece and then we put the horns on I think four tracks whether we'll use them on all four tracks I mean, we're not at the mixing stage yet so mm. it's just we we finished tracking it so that's really cool oh, I definitely want to come back to that but if uh, just kind of go through a little bit um of your kind of career in music because you've been doing this for a long time now. It was your first release was 2002. Is that right? Yeah. Around yeah. Then? yeah. So we're looking yeah. at 20, 22 years or something. I know. 2021. No. Yeah. I can't count. <laughs> we're 2023 now. There yeah. we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So I know uh, you, when you started off, you were playing in a trio. Is that right? Yeah. I had my dad on bass and um guy that lived up the road from where I grew up on, uh, on drums. And because uh, I couldn't find anyone, you know, I I started at sort of sixteen. I turned pro at like eighteen, just playing in pubs and things. But I couldn't find anyone my age that that wanted to play drums or right. or bass. So um, actually, the drummer was my age, but but my dad always played guitar, and he said, "Well, I'll play bass," and that lasted till he retired from it. You know, about ten years ago. Oh, but wow. um, That's that really was cool. the early thing, yeah. And then then we then. then yeah, I mean, when, when once we started, I, I got this idea to do, this is fast forwarding, but to do the big band thing about eight years ago. And the thing that takes up about 60% or 50% of my touring. But the thing I found I couldn't live without when I was when I was not with the big band was, you know, like having keys and things like that. So that that's always stayed for every show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going back to the um, sort of early days, you're playing in the in the trio with your dad. Um, where did kind of music and guitar, guitar music particularly start for you? Was it with your dad? Because I think we have that in common. Yeah. My dad's also a bass player. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it was both my mum and dad and, and their record collection. Um, but it was like um, it was like Rory Gallagher and, and Hendrix and Clapton. But then I, I I got deeper in it and went further back, you know, and uh, got into it. Because I play, you know, I play like, blues rock as you know but i mean i'm i'm fascinated in the history of blues and mm. i was checking out your stuff and i know you know all, all, you know you're you're really in 
embedded, if that's the right word, into all the whole acoustic genre of blues, which I, which really fascinates me. I'm not very good at it, but it, it's what I spend my time reading about and really what I listen to most of the time. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, nice. So uh, with that kind of, I guess, the basis of the, your parents' record collection and stuff, where did actually having a go at playing start? Um, I was about... Yeah, 15, I was 15, and I just decided, like all kids, I suppose, teenagers, I wanted a guitar. But I think it was the right time. I think sometimes if you start too young, your adult interests come in and, and it changes your perspective. So I think 15 was a, it was a, you know, it was a good age to start. And I was one of those weirdos that just stayed in the bedroom and played, you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, as was yeah. I. What kind of, uh, what, what was the first guitar you got? It was a it was a strat cup. It was a an encore. Oh, okay, yeah, you remember those? Yeah, but they're half decent, though, aren't they? The encores. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, sometimes I check out these these guitars, and and you know, you can probably get a decent guitar for a couple of hundred quid. Yeah, you know? it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. You know, it's great. I mean, everything. Um, I mean, I'm forty two, and and everything now has changed. You know, I mean, I I, I remember the Hot Licks videos and the. Mm-hmm. you know and uh and all that and now everything's on youtube and, and shows like you know what you've got and uh you know the fact you can get a decent guitar for not much money it's great it's really helped push it forward and i think each generation of guitar players probably get better for that reason yeah absolutely and it's great just to have it available for everybody isn't it yeah it's lovely yeah so what would you say because a lot of um a lot of guys that listen to this show and also um guys that i teach uh are sort of lapsed guitarists in that they were played when they're young and then you know yeah. life kind of happens and they pick it up again later in life you know but for you what's the kind of what keeps you interested in it well it's kind of a two-way answer one is i'm just in love with it so like i've always like i've got one there now you know <laughs> oh, <me too>. <laughs> <laughs> it's um so there's that part and then there's the other part of course which isn't quite as romantic is I do it for a living so mm. I can't let it lapse too much you know I have to kind of keep some sort of uh sensibility in my play and some sort of uh you know keep my my chops up a little bit I mean during Covid I sort of fell out of love with it because gigs were getting cancelled and I knew we weren't going to play anytime soon and so when we come back to playing you know it's like a year of I mean, I, I did touch the guitar, but a year of not gigging, maybe two years almost, I mm. uh, really had to work at it. And it took 2022 of playing live to kind of get back to to where I wanted to be, which is nothing flashy. You know, I go more for the, the feeling aspect of, of, of the, you know, the music than, than mm. anything else. But just that, you know, I didn't feel that in touch with it for a while. So, that yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your, to your question. But... Um, Maybe for your listeners, uh, my bit of advice I always give to people, if they're kind of struggling but they want to, they want to get it back and they used to play, is um, just kind of make yourself do 20 minutes rather than thinking I've got to do three hours. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know yeah, if you agree kind of with that. But approach. It, it's better than nothing. And it's it's like people, you know, not that I'm a poster figure for exercise, but people tell me, you know, well, just go for a walk half an hour a day rather than thinking I need to go running for 10 miles and then maybe the rest will follow. And it's, I think it's that kind of approach to guitar. If yeah. You want absolutely. To try and, yeah. So when, 20 you minutes. Of, uh, when you started off playing guitar, did you have a teacher? I know I've heard you talk before about, um, you know, sort of being under the tutelage of Walter Trout in some respects. I'm just interrupting this episode to let you know about the Blues Guitar Show Plus membership. Plus members get access to weekly lessons each Friday complete with tabs and downloads. For just $5 a month, you'll get instant access to nearly a year's worth of guitar lessons covering finger picking, fretboard theory, soloing, improvising slide and much, much more. If you're tired of bouncing around on YouTube trying to pick up bits of information from here and from there and you find it hard to commit to regular lessons, this is for you. Details of how to join are in the description below. Now back to the episode. <laughs> that was the closest I got to a teacher, and, and and I was very lucky with that. Yeah, but that was that was more a mentorship, you know, which still continues to, to this day. Really, um, in in the sort of formative years of that, there was some some one on one 
like sitting in the hotel gardens, you know, where he was on tour. He was used to tour in the summer and and playing with two guitars. But, you know, it, it's mainly been more about how to approach the business and and, uh, and and playing with feeling and things like that. And now, you know, we'll go for dinner or something. We probably won't even talk about actual, you know, playing techniques or anything, yeah. we'll, we'll, you know. We might talk about the business, but not not the other side of it. So, how old were you when you first met him? Then uh, it happened around about that time when I first started playing. So, about fifteen, yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so yeah. it's been been one of my longest friendships, really. And you uh, you fronted his band. Was that for for a tour? Is that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, what happened was, is he had a, a liver transplant, mm. and so he was very very seriously ill, and. Um, called me up and he couldn't he couldn't do the uh the, the tour that was booked for the band which was was six weeks in in america and canada and um he wanted to keep his musicians working and he didn't know if the album he just brought out which was called uh blues came calling whether it was ever going to get promoted so he said um you know would i step in and do it and that was you know that was an honor and a nice way to kind of pay back and thankfully he got better yeah absolutely yeah that's brilliant, yeah. So, in terms of the early years when you were sort of learning and stuff, did you did you have any kind of um, understanding of music theory? Were you playing mostly by feel, by ear? How did it kind of? Yeah, work? I've never really had a, a good good understanding of theory. I mean, I kind of wish I had, and it's never too late. But yeah, it was always by ear and, and by feel, and and it was like, I mean, I think the thing that really unlocked it for me was that there was a. Um, a DVD at the time, it was like a video, um, which was Ronnie Earl, Blues Guitar with Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such a great video because uh, he, he um, I don't know if you can find it on YouTube or, or anything, but he he uh, he really breaks down how to play with feeling and, 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 and he explains where every influence that, you know, and every lick he's playing, where it came from and, and everything like that. So that, you know, th- things like that and obviously just listening to, to albums. Yeah, and I think it's one of the coolest things when you when you speak to players that you've heard play a lot, um, where you kind of hear their what they sort of say, "Oh, these are my influences," and you think, "Yeah, I can hear that." Yeah. What were your kind of what were your early sort of guitar heroes? Who were they? Well, obviously Walter was was the major one, but yeah. he was very gracious, you know, was uh, leading me to other people. So he kind of led me on to. He said, you, "You've got to listen to like what you can." people like that, that that were his heroes, Mike Bloomfield, and obviously B.B. King was a huge one, has always been a huge one for me, and mm-hmm. Freddie and Albert but, and, and Albert Collins and Ronnie Earl, you know, and, and and then I went deeper back, and as I said, you know, like I really fell in love with, 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 early, with early blues, you know, like my favourite guy from that period is actually Honey Boy Edwards. I got, oh, really? to see, I got to see him live one time. Oh, wow. And, um, and I and then I got into the hill country blues thing, like yeah. um, T model Ford mm-hmm. and all those guys. R L Burnside. R L Burnside. That was another great one. Actually, it's a funny story. We, we did a festival in in somewhere in Europe, and there's like a, a backstage communal bar, you know, where yeah. the, the, the dressing rooms lead off, and and T model Ford was there. Then he was playing the next night, and I was playing that night. But he was there, and like he he was in his late eighties at the time, and. He drank a whole bottle of Jack Daniels. You know, like I, he kept sending me up the bar to get them from it. It was all free, but I kept bringing bringing back these Jack Daniels till they said, "Well, he's drank the whole bottle. We haven't got any that." <laughs> but he had this PV Raptor, which is like um, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it's like a, an Explorer gone wrong, right? <laughs> and so, and he couldn't get it in tune. He saw, but it was like, you know, he's like, and I said, "Try mine," and I had I had this. It's like mm. a, you know, it's like a um, John Cruz, like five grand custom shop job. And uh, he played one note on it and said it's a piece of SH, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Went back to his PV Raptor. <laughs> well, this, thing, this thing's in tune. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, try this. You might like it. Oh, that's brilliant. But, yeah. <laughs> and it, I'm right in there. Uh, I think I heard you talk about it before. You, you met BB King once. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, he was just was a king, you know. Yeah, it was just just how you'd imagine, really. Was... Mm, I think he's one of the biggest losses we've had in the recent years. Oh, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm sure your newsfeed, like mine, was absolutely flooded with uh, yeah know, tributes for Jeff Beck last week. 
couldn't believe it was in the studio and came up and you know with 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 the sad thing today with social media is you read one and you think oh it's, it might just be someone being a bit you know like a sick yeah joke. yeah yeah you know, and then yeah. it was just everywhere and then once mm. you see it on like a bbc news thing or something you know it's real and um yeah that was sad he actually yeah i'd been around him as well before and and uh actually that links in with the bb king thing because i, I went to the uh, premiere of Life of Riley. I don't know if you've seen it, the the movie about BB King. Yes, and I have. I, yeah, I sat with Walter and and Jeff Beck was next. Oh, to us. amazing! That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so kind of going back to your your music. Um, you released Rage to Survive. Was that twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? Uh, was it twenty twenty one? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Like round about September, near the end of the year. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Great. And um, kind of, uh, I don't know whether it's a similar kind of time, but there was a compilation, the sort of early years compilation. Yeah, that was with a, that was with an earlier label. That was part of Rounder Records, and, and what happened was is um, they wanted to release it, and I mean, I couldn't stop them, but they were gracious enough that I said, "Look, I didn't want people that were buying my albums to get confused that that was the new release, the new album." Yeah. So they were very nice, and they held off releasing it until. I think like January of that year, so people wouldn't get confused. And actually, it's nice to have it on on vinyl and, and to have a sort of collection of that early stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. is that most of that early stuff? Is that is that all uh, when you're playing with the trio? Is it all that kind of period? I think it goes right up to yeah, all of it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite cool to have that kind of snapshot of that period of your career, I guess. Yeah, there might be a couple of uh, tracks with keys, but they'd just be like people that in we just studio. brought in for a session yeah so in the terms of the the sort of your your band changing um how has it changed the way that you approach writing and recording is real music dying what even is real music and who are we to judge that well my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade in our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, it definitely has changed it. I mean, it, well, first of all, it frees me up a lot. You know, when you're in a trio, it's quite tiring because you've got to cover the rhythm part and, and, and everything. You know, having all that behind you, you know, a rhythm guitar, keys, a four-piece, you know, horn section allows me to, to concentrate more on that. So I do write with that in mind. Um, and obviously live, that helps to, to reproduce the, those layers and textures we're all there on stage whereas mm -hmm. you could do all that in a studio and go out with a three piece and it's really going to be hard to kind of yeah, make absolutely. the same sound so it has changed it yeah um but i never when i write for an album i never try and overthink it really i think of two things i think of um first of all um will people like it and second of all will it translate to the stage because that's yeah. you know really where i live you know that, that's you know i'm on the road a lot so so when you're all kind of uh writing do you start with an acoustic guitar you know singing and playing do you start with the electric uh or at least start with a kind of riff or a chord sequence usually it used to be whatever you know it was it, it's always an acoustic but it used to be oh i might have a lyric or i might have a, a guitar part first um the, the last the last two albums have been i've written all the lyrics before i've written the music Mm. Um, so I've just spent sort of a, a period of time writing lyrics, not really intentionally, but just um, writing the lyrics and then and then coming up with with uh, with melodies and, and chord ideas and then seeing what fits the lyrics. So not necessarily pulling out a sheet and saying, right, this needs to have this chord progression, writing them separately and then kind of matching them together has been how mm -hmm. I've done it recently. Oh, cool. And it's been quite, it's been quite fun because you know it's like fifteen, sixteen albums down the line. You know, some of it's going to end up sounding the same. 
Yeah. That's why, you know, that's why you bring in producers to make it sound different and to suggest, you know, oh, we need a bridge there or it's going to change quicker here or this is, you know, it's a bit like what you've done before or something like that. Well, to me, that's one of the most fascinating things about about blues music is that um, it's, you know, how many different ways can you look at the same thing in some exactly. ways, isn't it? Yeah. It's how, many, how can I make this different to the last album, you know, of this kind of music? you got to kind yeah. of, yeah. I totally agree, and that that's why you know I love you know if you listen to the the early greats and 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 you know I'm not just talking guitar players, but if you listen to someone like Little Walter, mm-hmm. the different things he could do over the same progression, yeah, was really stunning. And Big Walter, all people like that, you know, I listen to as much of that as I do as I do guitar, and it you know it still amazes me. Yeah. So when you're in the studio, um, do you kind of have your guitar solos mapped out? Uh, when you no. so when you write a song, or do you kind of do you improvise it in the studio and then try and replicate it live? How do you, how do you do that? Well, this has been I've never they're never mapped out. No, this this album was slightly different. Uh, the last two albums, we've all been in a room and we've pretty much recorded it live. And and then I've maybe have overdubbed a solo, or I've done the solo with the band, and then I've kind of overdubbed or underdubbed the rhythm part. Um, this time we cut it just bass and drums and me playing a guide guitar so we could get the groove the groove mm. was right if the guide guitar was was you know was was good with the groove and was was perfectly in time and everything we'd keep it if not i'd redo that straight away and we'd layer it up from that but but in terms of the solos no always just improvised and um and i always try to get them within two to three takes because I find otherwise you learn a bit that you like and then you keep trying to um, to do that bit and it sort of loses the impact of the rest of the song. But that's just my way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, I can do every solo in one or two or three takes. But what I'm saying is if I haven't got it in like three, four takes, I'll put it to one side and come back to it later and work on something else. Does that mean when you go out on tour, you've got a kind of, listen to the tracks and try and learn the solos or do you do you stick to a kind of something improvisational yeah no it's always improvisational i mean it's amazing what the 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 mind does because it sort of remembers things and also you know i'm not joe satriani i don't have an unlimited vocabulary of guitar licks so you know by law of average i'm gonna hit a lot (laughs) of the same licks that i did anyway because that's just the way my mind hears it and i'm like you know well, I got ten licks I like, and I'm going to hit one of them. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, if I hear my stuff back live, it usually is pretty much what I've done on the record, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, uh, so one of the subjects that a lot of guys that um, listen to this and I do sessions with want to know about is everybody wants to be a better improviser. I think right. everyone's got a kind of idea in their head they want to be able to sit down and play with their friends, and then suddenly just you know pull a killer solo out of out of nowhere um yeah. how i know you said you don't have much of a kind of uh music theory background but like what is your approach to improvising do you just go with what feels good have you just yeah. learned a lot of solos before that helps my 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 thing that i would suggest is never be frightened to kind of wear your influences on your sleeve mm-hmm. um so if i'm having a, an off night i'm tired we've been on tour for three weeks and I don't feel inspired and we're playing the slow blues, I'll think about Buddy Guy or I'll think about B.B. King and I'll go into that mode, you know, just pure inspiration. The other thing which comes from that Ronnie Earl video is like taking sort of three notes and and seeing how many different ways you can play those three notes. And it's amazing how many different ways you can play those three Mm. notes. Um, and, And there was something I read years ago, I can't remember who said it, but I've always quoted it. Um, it was like don't worry about copying someone else because if if say you play a note you know or a, or a lick that's BB King's and then you play one that's you know Albert Collins, the bit in the middle that connects and becomes you. So that yeah, that actually way. yeah, I think that's that's hit the nail on the head for me because one of the things that I always like to say to people is you know you know when you build up a record collection. Yeah, that record collection then becomes your music taste, doesn't it? And it's exactly like, that build up a kind of collection of influences with the guitar. That collection of licks, whatever it is, even if you're pulling one from ten different people, then that becomes 
you, doesn't it? Exactly. You, you, you know, even if you try, well, you're never going to sound like the person you want to anyway, yeah. um, unless that's the only person you ever listen to. <laughs> if, you know, that might work if, if, if I gave you or I had, you know, one Albert King record and I was stuck on a desert island for 30 years with one guitar, then maybe that's all you'd, you'd play. But yeah. even then, you'd, it'd probably be different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating in that way. Absolutely. So going back to your kind of career span, when you started playing in pubs, when did it start? When did it kind of start to to lift off and you become a sort of viable career? Well, I, I kind of sort of thought, well, I can't, you know, yeah, I can, you know, it was easy. I was, you know, 18. I was still at home. You know, I hadn't got married. I hadn't done any of that. It was, it was so it was kind of like, um, it was time to, to to think. Well, I could stay in the pub, but ultimately, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't further my career. So, I had to expand and get to the point where people were paying to, to see me. They wanted to buy a ticket, even if they hadn't heard, you know, the name Danny. Uh, at least they were buying a ticket for the, for that genre of music. You know, it said blues, and so I had to leave those areas for quite a long time. But really, I think the catalyst was I I got. Um, I got a deal um, just by sending off, you know, like a, a demo CD. And that was with a, a British label really early on. And, um, and I got a, 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 an agent in Holland and um, somebody pulled out of a, a fairly big festival there. Um, it was actually, it was Jim who plays for George Thorogood. He had a gig there and he pulled out through right. some sad circumstances. So I filled in the bill. And there was Rounder Records was there, which is CRS in Europe, and they signed me. So then it expanded and I had Europe. And then I built it up to playing clubs and, you know, taking the door and, and, and things like that. That's kind of a short version of it, you know. So you kind of really did cut your teeth playing live. That's kind of... Oh, yeah. I mean, I've done yeah. well over like five or 6,000 shows, I think. Yeah. So a lot. That's a lot of travel as well, isn't it? It is a lot of travel, yeah. I mean, but it's, you know, to do something you love, you can't, you know, you can't ever complain about. Well, I do complain. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Those this is a safe space, Danny. You complain if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're when you're gigging, I've sort of uh, rightly or wrongly, I've always sort of associated you with playing a strat. Yeah. Um, but I saw a video. I uh, I think I was sort of looking around earlier earlier this evening and. Uh, I saw a video of you playing in Newbury, actually, which is where I am right now, um, with Bernie Marsden, and you're playing something that looks really strange. Um, that is... Um, it's got a really odd-looking headstock. What is well, that? that is... Trev Wilkinson built those for me. Oh, uh, okay, cool. That, that's a signature guitar. Um, so it's like... I, I call it like the Swiss Army knife of guitars because it's great for flyings because it's got like a, a P90 that goes down to a true single coil and then it's got like a humbucker but that can also be split and it's got that um i've got a lot of guitars yeah the main the main one is that strat there this red mm -hmm. strat i have another custom shop one which is a 59 um i just got this uh the prs uh which is oh, i really nice. like and um you know I think in that same video bernie's playing a prs if i'm not wrong well yeah he yeah. he kind of he kind of made me fall in love with him because first time he came and recorded with me he bought the beast and he bought prs with him mm. and uh i mean it was great to play the beast you know it's a 59 less pull but i thought wow the prs really stands up to it yeah. and um and uh subsequently i've been with him and played the beast and he's always had the prs as well the funny thing about that gig i think the one you're talking about is he came in and he just spent 18 grand on a firebird uh a firebird one and he he didn't have a case for it yet he was gonna it didn't come with the original case he was gonna pick one up from a guitar shop the next day so i said oh, i'll get you a stand for that bernie and he was like no it's okay he just he just leaned it on the top of one of my amps i think really? you can see it in the video <laughs> yeah that's brilliant yeah uh, how many how did, uh, how long have you sort of um been in touch with bernie for how did that, that relationship was, come about? We played a we played a um a charity gig together and there was like no one there helping him with amps or everything and everyone was doing it for charity and, and he came up and introduced himself and he said, Do you know where we load in or anything? And I said, 
yeah, it's through there. So I went and helped. I said, do you want a hand with your gear? So and he said, oh, if you don't mind. So I helped him carry in his marshal. And it didn't work. So I said, it's all right. I've got two. You can use mine. Um, and we, we swapped numbers and just became friends from there, really. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, going back to your kind of gear, what, what makes you sort of – well, firstly, is, is the Strat what you use most of the time when you're gigging? It's really – Changes quite a lot at the moment. Um, I've I've got in Europe. I keep a, another strap, and I bought an SG on tour at the end of no, it was in the summer of last year. So that so I, I've I've given up flying in with guitars because this red guitar, um, Ryan Hair again. They lost it for eleven days. They've <laughs> lost it three times. The last time they lost it no. for three days, and I'm like, I'm that's not coming on flights yeah. anymore. Not those sort of flights anyway. Yeah. So. Um, occasionally I play slide, so I'll, I've got a Firebird that's set up for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, the main guitar, I suppose, is is always going to be a strap. But depends if it's in the UK, it'll be this one. I've got an old seventies one as well. And then I record a lot with. Well, the last few albums I've recorded a lot with a gold top Les Paul I've got. But this album I use this this PRS a lot. So oh, wow. it just depends really. So do you um, when you kind of in the studio are you testing out different guitars is it kind of is it just a sound thing you're just trying to go for a sound yeah it's just i mean you know it's just a couple of different amps and um i take five or six guitars i pretty much work out in advance with the song maybe what guitars i'm going to need that are going to cover all the bases um and then then I, i i test them out yeah it's not it's not too long a process you know we can usually we can usually find what we need. And I mean, this time it was more down to, to the producer, you know, and, and what we tend to do is just get a clean track and, and record the guitar absolutely completely on its own. So I can hear what's happening with the tone, mm. you know, and then I'll hear it in the track and then, then we'll decide. And then, then, you know, then it'll be, I mean, it's different. I mean, I'm not a guy that uses pedals at all. I don't use any. So, um, and it's the same in the studio that they actually brought in a load of pedals for me. And I used the wah-wah on one song, but I, I just like the signal straight from, from the guitar to the amp. And, yeah. and if I want it clean, I manipulate it with the, the volume control. So the, as I turn the volume control down, be it on a Strat or any, anything I'm playing, a Gibson or, or, or anything, um, the amp cleans up. As I turn the guitar up, the gain comes up. Uh, Do you think that's something you picked up from Walter Trout, that kind of? absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah that approach but kind of without knowing subconsciously mm. you know because he just didn't he's you know he's old school and he's just never used pedals and i just I, i'm not against people using pedals i think most modern guitarists use pedals and they sound absolutely amazing i'm just not good with them you know they're that we put like we, we actually in the studio the, the producer he bought in a few different distortion pedals and um, we set my amp clean and we put it in front and we just agreed it didn't suit me you know just it was better you know i like to run the amp part and... yeah yeah absolutely and i do you know i went to um i went to see robert cray a few months ago yeah and he's one of right. my absolute favorite guitarists and me too he didn't use any pedals and the kind no. of uh the dynamic range he can pull out of just his fingers is is really phenomenal yeah, he's one of my all-time favourites. I saw him on that tour actually at the Corn Exchange in Cambridge, and um, and he, yeah, it was just like I think he was using two matches amps, yeah, and and a custom piece band, yeah, custom shop strap. Yeah, it's just he's just incredible and so tasteful as well. Yeah, well, that's what I've always loved about his guitar playing. Well, similarly to yours as well. It's just um, it's you know, it's it's guitar playing that suits the song rather than you know suits its own purpose if you know what i mean i think he's he's very much for that yeah far far he does it far better than me you know i mean he's just his songs are always so great you're right he's got that great soulful voice and i you know i don't even think he'd he'd necessarily just call himself a blues guy i think you know there's a lot of lot of soul and and and, and well, a lot of them, his latest that. album as well there's a lot of uh you can hear a lot of sam cook in there yeah definitely you know, that kind of influence yeah yeah so when you're no, approaching really. the new album you guys are in the studio now do you um do you have a different approach for each album or is it kind of like you know all right let's go another load of songs we did for this one because the record company said we were done the last two have been quite live sounding 
um you know we, we want something that's a little bit polished a little bit um songy in a good way you know mm -hmm. so this one was a little bit of a different experience i mean i've used ian to engineer before but never produced so um he's that's the first time i've used him as a producer so i handed over the reins which in one way is hard but it, i mean he did a great job so it was worth it and in another way is quite liberating because i could just put once the songs were written um i could just concentrate on on the on the playing and and, and my performances and, and let him worry about where it was going i mean we met a few times for pre-production beforehand i mean the first meeting was just him reading the lyrics right. and then the second one was him hearing the me just with an acoustic playing and singing the songs and it just worked it built up from there mm. When you're uh, in the studio, what what are the kind of differences? How do you find it's different between tracking your guitars and tracking the vocals? Do you do them at the same time? Uh, I have done. Uh, I didn't this time. I, I think um, I try not to overthink either of them. I think I suppose the difference in studio and live is there's always that. Well, first of all, you you, you know if you play live a lot like me, it it never becomes alien because you're never that long without playing. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas the studio is something you do every two years. So it's always like it takes a couple of days of it feel, feeling like a clinical environment. The, 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 other, the, the other thing about it is, you know, you are aware that when that record button goes down, if that's the take, it's there forever. And, uh, and it's going to be reviewed and things like that. And also you don't get the applause at the end. You know, you can do, you can do a solo you're really thrilled with and they'll go, you want to come and never listen to that yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's about all you get you know absolutely well you could add the applause in digitally yeah i know it's not quite the same thing i think yeah for the next album we'll just get a load of people pretending to clap yeah yeah queen uh, live at wembley just, just yeah a bit of that applause yeah. in there. why not <laughs> we did actually try and set the studio this time so we had like um you know the lights down and spotlights on so it felt a bit more like a gig yeah. And also we had a rule. I said, look, I don't want to be doing vocals at 10 in the morning. Mm. Your throat reacts differently. You know, you, you've not been awake long enough. Uh, you know, you don't do a gig at 10 in the morning unless it's like a TV type thing. So we didn't do uh, the vocals till the evening every every night was for, for vocals. Yeah, which I guess, I mean, that's the way you tour, isn't it? You know, you That's the way you tour, you know, by about, you know, five or six o'clock your voice is warmed up and, and, mm. and everything you know you have a beer relax do a vocal kind of thing you know yeah it's technical i like it <laughs> yeah so that's my that's my uh that's my tip <laughs> so when you're uh when the, when you're writing with the band uh do you tend to write with the band or is it you bringing songs to the band no i never write with them i um but i, I give them freedom to 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 add their parts mm. um but this time that again that was more in dowling the producer was was suggesting parts uh so so we did all the pre-production just ian and i and then the day before we went into the, the, the proper studio we hired another studio and just did the songs live mm. and mapped out parts and we recorded all that as well so that the each night we could listen and see what we'd add and then we'd have meetings and he'd say, I think I want so-and-so to do this tomorrow. And, you know, so, it's, you know, it's, it's, I love being in the studio because you don't have to get up and travel the next day. Yeah. Um. So, and so it's kind of like, it's the only time in my life where it's like having a nine to five job. Yeah. Apart from it, it's more like 11 till 11. <laughs> 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How long do you roughly take in the studio when you're sort of tracking an album? It's pretty quick, about a week, and then mm. but then another week to mix it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a couple of weeks, maybe a little bit more. You know, any idea when this is going to come out? 29th of September. Oh, okay. And you're touring around then, aren't you? Because I saw, I yeah. think you're coming around this way in October. I'm doing Arlington, the Arts Centre in in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could. There, there's a whole. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of about 40 dates that I'm not allowed to announce yet, but, but that's right. across Europe. Mm. But yeah, yeah, we will be there in uh, in October. Yeah. So you're looking at having a pretty uh, pretty busy year then, touring wise. Yeah, we always do about you know a hundred shows, which is nice. It's comfortable, but you know, hundred shows nowadays takes about 130 days of being away with travels and 
delays yeah. stuff like that. So when you travel uh, in Europe, are you are you guys hiring a bus, a van? How do you do it? Well, at the moment it's hotels, but I, they want to do it on a nightliner for the for the long tour. I don't know. Part of me really likes the idea of it, and the other part of me is like three weeks with everyone on a on a nightliner and things. I don't know how much fun that's that that will be. <laughs> um, be great for the first week. <laughs> the first week would be good, you know, but. Uh, we have to see. It's really down to the the booking agents and the label. What what will we do with that? But uh, either way, it will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're uh, when you're over on uh, Europe way on tour, what are you doing, kind of amp wise? Do you use amps, the venues amps, or are you taking your own? Or no, um, my tour manager over there, he hires the backline for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I use Black Stars, but I like like. Since I've just, I mean, I always hire two amps because you you need you know a spare. Mm. But it's it's I I thought of, you know I thought well, you know I can have any amp I want you know if I'm hiring it. So I've sort of you know within reason. Obviously, they don't hire out dumbbells or things like that. But yeah. you know, I thought well I can have fun. So in the last tour I used um, a deluxe like a, uh, a deluxe reverb, you know, a reissue blackface one, and that that was great. That was um, a nice one. Yeah, I really like yeah. this. That was the only time that um, I did need a pedal uh, to push it because I mean, even though it's a it's a fairly quiet amp, to get the, the amount of drive I like out of it, yeah, it's a bit like a in twin, a sort of five hundred thing. You know, you imagine it in Arlington Arts Centre, something like that. It still needed a screen in front of it and a mm-hmm. and a, a pedal in front as well, so um, just to push it. But that was a fun amp, and uh, I don't know what I'll use next. You know. Well, it's quite I'm fun, like, isn't it? To be able to just yes, it is. Yeah, that's, that's, I suddenly yeah. realised. You know, well, I'm hiring it. And I'm, you know, I'm paying for it, so I might as well just try a few different things out. So we'll always have like, say, we'll always have a black star there or something. But that might become the spare amp if I like the other one that I'll hire, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but, nice. So yeah. when was your when's your when was your first kind of international tour? Oh God. Um, well, it started off like just doing sort of three or four, you know, like Thursday to to come home monday in mm. in like belgium and holland but that was probably yeah about 20 years ago yeah, when wow. i signed that that deal with with the with, with the round with crs so yeah a long time ago you know but it's it's good for blues music in europe you know yeah absolutely i mean how, how do you find the scene in, scene in the uk it's good it's it's really good it's just you know i i think you're best if you don't over tour it you know maybe 15 10, 15 shows a year. Mm-hmm. We did a tour with um, Eric Gales at the beginning of the year. That was yeah. fun. He's kind of an amazing player. Oh, and he's a, fantastic, and a, isn't he? Really lovely guy as well. He's a it lefty was great as well, to... which is good. So am I. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> I'm a lefty as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, he just he, he took that he took that red strat there and he just flipped it over. I remember sitting on a couch next to him and him just playing acoustically my guitar and I was like. <laughs> yeah so spending like 14 days with him was pretty special yeah yeah i'm sure that's really cool yeah did you get to uh jam together then a lot only backstage he did actually he did on the second date say do you want to come up at some point and jam and um i actually refused <laughs> uh, it was you know they weren't doing they weren't doing any standard 12 bar stuff it was all songs off their album yeah and yeah. i felt that there was nothing i could add to it it's actually it's not very um i mean he's sort of playing blues style guitar but the album itself that that last one i want my crown that one yeah um it's not i wouldn't say it's a blues album really no it's not and they were doing that it's brilliant but they were doing that start to finish so it was yeah. like I felt he asked, and it was very gracious. And and I, I but I felt like he asked because he was being very kind. And and mm-hmm. I just felt I wasn't going to bring anything to the show by me coming up to jam. So I mean, we got to sit backstage with guitars. So I suppose you could say I jammed with him in that sense. Yeah, but, that's cool. Yeah. Who is your favourite jam? Who's who's the best person you jam with? Oh, uh, I I'd probably have to say Walter still still get a thrill out of, of jamming with Walter but then you know I forget some of the some of the people that you know there's, there's been I've, I've got to meet a lot of my heroes along the way and, and some of them I've jammed with and some of them it's just been being near them it's just been cool mm. 
Who are the sort of people that you wish you got a chance to jam with? I guess BB's probably one of them. BB, yeah, no, I didn't get any chance to jam with him. Um, buddy guy, I've met a few times, but never jammed with him. I think him or, or Eric Clapton would. I would love to jam with Clapton. Mm-hmm. I, th- I just think you know. Um, the whole Jeff Beck thing. I mean, it's like it's over my head. It's so good. Not that Clapton isn't, but you know, not that those guys aren't all equal. I mean, you can't judge who's the best guitar player, but I wouldn't no, know where to start with someone like Jeff Beck. Where mm-hmm. you know, guys that keep it in the confines of like a one four five. You know, I can I can cope with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel that too. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you got to stick to your strengths. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is the thing. Like, I think, um, you know, when you when you watch something like BB um, King live at the Regal, yeah, example, you know, he isn't really like in terms of music theory, he's not doing anything new or flashy. No. But what he is doing, no. you know, is he's really connecting and he's he's putting himself into the, you know, into his playing, and it's totally agree. You know, it's all about the feeling and the tone and the you know and the connection with the audience, as you say, you know. Yeah, that's probably that's the best kind of music so special you know that's what it is absolutely um, yeah yeah i mean you'd be out of place doing sort of steve vi licks over uh, well i mean i love <laughs> i love steve vi and i love eric johnson and i love satriani i was listening to satriani earlier but it, i was i was watching some old g3 stuff when they do mm. the freddie kinks and they do uh they do going down and it's yeah. like it just completely doesn't work Mm. you know because they're all just shredding over it and it's like you know it's amazing guitar playing it's way way beyond anything i could ever do but it you know you just think god if if freddie was still alive and he he just stepped up there and hit three notes it'd be good yeah. night everybody you know well that's what i've loved about albert collins i mean he can just he yeah can just hit one note and you go oh, oh i know i know <laughs> so i would love to have seen him live but yeah. um, it was before my you know Absolutely. before before i started but it would it, you know I've, I've watched everything i can get on him but uh he's one guy i can't he's he's so hard to copy yeah yeah he's, he's, really he's uh his guitar player's got such personality hasn't it yeah and he tuned to like f sharp minor <laughs> and then and then the capo sometimes would be up on like the, the, the ninth fret or something yeah. like that so he wanted to play it's a bit like jimmy vaughan he wants to play everything open mm. Which that comes from, like the whole gate mouth brown thing and everything. That all that stuff fascinates me. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you do a lot of uh, other tunings? Like when you're playing slide, you playing? I don't. I mean, in, in slide, all I do is I, I, you know, I can do. I my favorite is is like the Elmore kind of um, open D. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'll do some open G for like that early muddy stuff. But then I really liked when muddy was, you know, like in later years, he just played in standard tune. Yeah. I really love guys that can play slide in standard tuning. Oh yeah, like Derek Trucks, I think plays yes. in standard tuning, and he's, he's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And and uh, I really love Muddy Waters doing that. You know, in, later in, in in life, he was just like you know, he just kept the guitar in four forty and, and just standard tuning. You know, it blows me away. And the fact that he would only take like two solos a night, but you know, yeah, yeah, but he's stunning. the man, isn't he? stunning thing yeah i'm just reading a a book on um robert johnson called brother robert have you read that one oh no i haven't oh it's it's written by his his sister oh okay you should check it out it's really yeah. interesting yeah, yeah i love all the robert johnson stuff i love playing robert johnson's music but um i just love the whole kind of like the law around it you know <laughs> yeah everyone does it's is you know it's it's amazing yeah. it's fantastic who are your favourite acoustic guys? Then I love Skip James. Oh, me too. Um, yeah. Big fan of Skip cool. James. Um, big Bill Brunsey is a is a yeah. favourite of mine. Um, uh, what's the other? Big Joe. Big Joe. What's his second name? Big Joe uh, Williams. Yes, Big Joe Williams. Yeah. Uh, Highway um, Forty Nine was his. Bit, yeah, that he was like the, a, the, the guy with the nine string guitar. Mm-hmm yeah and uh but even stuff like you know charlie Patton stuff as well like i really like playing i do i find it i find it very hard the charlie patterns oh it's really tough and i find that whatever i i mean i i they're a really good example of players that i i can never emulate i can i yeah. can pretty much learn the stuff and i can play my version of it which is you know 
uh, much more four four and twelve bar than they ever played. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, it's amazing to learn that stuff and listen to. Yeah, because it's almost like I know they 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 heard other people and that's where they got it from. But in some senses, when you listen to someone like Charlie Patton, it's almost like he pulled it out of thin air. Yeah, and it's like it's pure experimentation. Yeah, because you know, it's it's not based. You know, he probably wasn't sitting there with a method book or you no. know a pile of DVDs, no. whatever was he? So he's you know he's literally just got this sound in his head and he's trying to figure out a way of getting there. I know it's stunning. Yeah, and I think some of the. Uh, I mean, I quite, I'm quite into the finger picking stuff, but some of the finger picking patterns that those guys used is, uh, yeah, it's just, it's amazing to think people come up with it. You almost approach playing guitar like playing stride piano. I know, I know. Well, that, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. They were, they were hearing some, you know, that that's what really comes across to me with, with those guys, like people like Blind Blake as well. It's like mm. they're not really their influences on guitar players. No, it's like it's that sort of, I guess, Scott Joplin style. Yeah. You know, ragtime. Yeah, yeah. Because it's what they were around, and that you know, it's fascinating, really, when you think about it. Yeah, fascinating and an absolute nightmare to try and emulate. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but it's amazing <laughs> the guys that can. <laughs> little, little did they know that ninety years ago, these white guys in in the you know the south of England would still be struggling <laughs> <Yeah>. with it. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Have you thought about playing a minor pentatonic over that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, uh, I think we'll uh, start to wrap it up, mate, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, one question I like to ask everyone that comes on is um, if you have any kind of players that you think are underrated or not enough people know about, anyone that you've played with or anyone that you've seen that you think are oh, not enough people listen to this guy. Well, I'll tell you what, the, if we're talking about acoustic blues, there's a guy that's opened a few shows for me, and his name's Kelvin Jones. Okay. And um, he plays, you should check him out, he plays all that stuff, and he really turned me on to a few early acoustic guys that I hadn't heard of. Oh, and, um, so he's really good. So Kelvin, Kelvin Jones. Jones. Yeah. Fantastic. No, sorry, it's Kelvin Davis and the harmonica player's Gary Jones. So oh, Kelvin, Kelvin Davis. Davis. Kelvin Davis. Kelvin. Got it. <laughs> Kelvin Davis and Gary Jones. They're a Fantastic. duo. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Check well, them out. Also, I'll actually email you a web link because there's a, a story uh, I think you'll like about um, that Mike Bloomfield wrote. I don't know if you've ever read it. And he goes um, on a pilgrimage with, with Big Joe Williams. Oh, and it's brilliant. quite funny. I'll send it in, yeah, in a yeah, second. Send it to me. That sounds great. I will do. Wicked. Okay, right, Ben. Cheers, Danny. It's uh, great to speak to you and uh, can't Thanks, wait buddy. to hear the new stuff. Yeah, I'll see you in Arlington. I'll put you on the guest list if you want to come. Yeah, off. fantastic. Yeah, we'll grab a beer. Okay, mate. Nice to meet you. Thanks All right, a lot. Cheers, Danny. Are you fully fretboard confident? Do you know where the notes are, how they connect and how they move up and down the strings? My latest book, The Triad Method, is all about using simple three note shapes to completely unlock the fretboard. This book is absolutely full of light bulb moments that are going to demystify the neck three notes at a time. I've compiled a huge number of diagrams, shapes and exercises based on over 10 years of teaching this stuff to make it as simple as possible. Download The Triad Method and see for yourself today. Link is in the description below.